HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I'm John Hutspeth, and thank you guys for dropping in for this episode. We got a good one today, uh, one that I've been thinking about for a little while, and uh, I think I might actually do a couple of these, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, Just a few quick announcements here. Uh, The first one is the Backwoods Show is coming up in Oklahoma City. I hope everybody can make it out. I think I've decided, however, that this year I am not going to get a booth. Um... It's just kind of expensive. Um, I have to take, you know, at least one, if not two days off of work to do all the setup and everything like that. And uh, and honestly, I just don't think that's in the cards this year. So I still plan to go. Um, most likely I'll be going on Saturday, probably going to hang out for the large majority of the day. So still be looking for me. I'm going to be hanging out, meeting people and everything like that. But I don't think I'm going to get an actual booth this year. So, But uh, put that on your calendars. That's the first weekend in March. I can't think of the exact dates right now, but really go check it out. Um, Man, I met a lot of great people last year. It was awesome. There's, uh, you know, companies from all over the state, real estate agents, uh, food companies, knife companies, you name it, they're there. So definitely put that on the calendar and check that out. One other real quick announcement, kind of on that same thing, is uh, when I went last year, I ordered a bunch of hats and shirts. And I, I always forget to, to mention this, but I still have a decent amount of Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast shirts and hats. Um, so if you want one of those, shoot me a message on Instagram or something and I'll mail it to you. Not that big a deal. So yeah, uh, I believe I charged, I want to say I was charging $20 for a shirt and 25 for a hat. So yeah, like I said, if you want an Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast uh, hat or shirt, let me know and I'll send one to you. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much it as far as like official announcements. Uh, I was going to talk about, uh, I did get to do a little duck hunting this last weekend, made a real quick trip out to the ranch. Uh, my brother and I took his, uh, oldest three kids, uh, my niece and two nephews, and we had a blast. Um, it turned out to be a pretty good morning. Not quite what we had hoped. We ended up killing, uh, we got 10. Uh, so we were allowed to kill 12 between my brother and I. We got 10. Uh, I think it was, uh, two mallards. Uh, four, uh, oh gosh, ring necks and uh, a couple gadwalls. Yeah, kind of a, a mixed bag, which was fun. Um, learned a whole lot about taking kids hunting. Yeah, we've we've taken them hunting before. Uh, we took them last year a couple times. We took the oldest even the year before that, I think. Um, but they're kind of getting old enough to not quite participate, but they really they know what's going on and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it was really cool. The biggest thing that I learned, and uh, I don't think I talked about it last week. Oh, I made an Instagram post about it. But uh, we just like, 
you know, duck hunting is, uh, people who are really into duck hunting can get a little bit, uh, elitist, you know, uh, trying to shoot only mallards or only males and, uh, you know, whatever the case might be, uh, just kind of, you know, and they're doing it for the picture. Of course, you know, I do it too. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat guilty of that. Uh, but man, those kids, they did not care. Like they didn't care what type of duck it was. They didn't color care, you know, what color it was, male, female. They just thought it was awesome when the, you know, out of nowhere you hear that and then you shoot the birds hit the water. Like they would, I mean, they were cheering. They had huge smiles. They kept telling me to, to, uh, you know, get on my horn, AKA the duck call. And, uh, they actually preferred the ring necks over the mallards because they came in so fast and, uh, you know, just, they made a lot of noise and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, that was, that was a tip. And, uh, we actually talked about it a little bit in this uh, episode, uh, that trip a little bit and, uh, you know, how good, uh, duck hunting is for getting kids into the outdoors. So, so yeah, definitely learned that. Like I said, killed quite a few ducks. Uh, so that was a really good time. And, uh, and that is going to do it for this season. So, uh, this weekend is the last weekend of duck season. I guess the goose is still open. Um, but, uh, but yeah, for the most part, most of the like official seasons are closing this weekend. So, um, man, it was a great year. It was an awesome time. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a, it was an interesting year looking back on it. Like I, I still accomplished a lot. Like I got several duck hunts in, several good duck hunts in, um, I killed two bucks, um, you know, got to go several times, but I didn't, I just didn't get to hunt quite as much as I normally do and this year just it felt like my hunts were more rushed like you know I did a lot more like one night hunt you know I'd run up there hunt an evening in the morning and come home uh you know because of the baby and stuff uh so I don't know it was just a different year but uh anyway we're gonna talk about that more some other time most likely uh this week we have an interesting I think really good episode and like I said at the beginning I think I want to do a couple of these this spring um I don't know if they're going to be back to back but uh you know might spread them out might be back to back who knows but uh this is going to be a basically what you learned episode um I think I did one of these by myself last year um and I just I just think it's so important you know, once the year's kind of winded down to reflect, to look back and think, what can I learn from this year? And so that's what we have uh, in store today. Uh, I brought on my friend, Charles Admire. He was actually with me on a couple of those duck hunts this year. Uh, he deer hunted our place. He took a doe on our place, uh, helped me out there because I did not do a very good job of doe patrol this year. Um, so yeah, so I have Charles on. Uh, Charles, he, uh, hunts his family's place in central Texas. He hunted a decent amount of public land in Oklahoma this year. And then he also hunted our place in Oklahoma. So he got to hunt, you know, several different scenarios. Um, I, man, it was weird kind of as I was getting prepared for this, I kind of just ran through, you know, my season and like, I almost forgot that I went to Nebraska this year. Like I, uh, man, I, like I had much more of a, uh, I don't know what's the word for it. Um, gosh, I don't know, just adventurous year, I guess, than I had kind of thought. Um, you know, went to Nebraska, went to Colorado, uh, obviously hunted, uh, Oklahoma and Texas. And so <laughs> I guess what I said earlier about not getting to hunt much, I probably need to throw that out the window cause I did get to do a decent amount of hunting. Uh, but man, it just, it, it was so spread out that it just seems like, it seems like two years ago that I went to Nebraska. So Anyway, that's what we're talking about this year, or this week. We're talking about what we learned from this previous year. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And not only do I hope you learn from what Charles and I talk about, but I hope it makes you reflect on your year 
and what you learned yourself. So keep that in mind as you're listening to this episode. I think it's going to be a really good one. And again, I hope to do a couple more of these. So that's all we got for this week. Uh, We're going to get to the episode right after a word from our partners. I hope y'all had a great week. I hope y'all were safe during the whole snowpocalypse thing. And uh, we got some more bad weather coming this week, it looks like. So everybody stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode. And we're going to get into it right after this. We had the guys at Arrowhead Land Company on a while back, and if you listen to that episode, it was pretty obvious these guys are big time hunters. So if you're looking to buy or sell a piece of hunting property, why not call someone who truly understands what they're looking at? The crew at Arrowhead will work hard for you to not only find you the best buyer or seller for your property, but also guide you through the entire process while keeping your goals in mind. Give them a call and let the hardworking agents go to work for you. With the season winding down, it's a great time to keep running those trail cameras to collect data for next year. And if you really want to be prepared, you should upload those pictures to Deer Lab. Deer Lab is more than organization. It's real-life usable data. It can help you keep up with individual bucks, their travel routes, and movement patterns to put you in the right place at the right time. I used the historical data from Deer Lab to put a nice buck in front of me this year that I'd been tracking for over three years. Check them out at DeerLab.com, and don't forget to use code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS for 20% off. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Private Water Fishing is a -a one-of-a-kind fishing subscription service that gives you access to large private lakes all over the state. Once you sign up, you can see the huge list of private lakes at your disposal and pick the one that works for you. Whether that's one close to home or one meant to get you out a little bit, No matter which one you choose, you can be guaranteed to have a great time. These are well-managed and stocked lakes that are all yours for the entire day. Go to privatewaterfishing.com to learn more. Hey everybody, welcome back to today's show. And Today we got my old buddy Charles Admire. How you doing, Charles? Man, I'm doing pretty good. How are you, John? Not too bad, not too bad. We're kind of winding down a week right now. Sounds like you had a heck of a day, so... Let's just uh, let's just relax. Let's put all that behind us and try to just have some fun talking about hunting. How does that sound? Yeah, man. Got my adult beverage poured, ready to go. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Charles, you've been on before. Actually, I think you've been on twice. Uh, but real quick, just in case somebody doesn't uh, remember that name, why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so Charles Admire, John and I have known each other, gosh, since we were kids um a little bit of background in the marine corps been uh hunting for oh gosh several decades now uh passionate bow hunter um and also um newly passionate uh waterfowl hunter you know honestly i've been a waterfowl hunter for a while but it's like been like a newfound like rekindling of that love so mm-hmm. yeah yeah There's for like those listening charles that. was the guy that 
<laughs> yeah, Charles was the guy that I did my uh, amazing crazy, crazy uh, duck hunt slash goose hunt with a few weeks ago. I don't know, it was about a month ago now. So, uh, so I think that kind of rekindled it for both of us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially like having uh, greenheads come in like they were coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Charles is also a new dad, just like myself. Uh, his son was born, I think, almost exactly one month before my daughter. So we got to, uh, you know, travel those waters together this year. Uh, so yeah, we just kind of, yeah, we got to do the whole dad thing. We got to hunt together a little bit this year. Uh, Charles did a little deer hunting with me on our place this year. So yeah, we just had a grand old time and that makes Charles the perfect guest for what I want to talk about today. We're just going to kind of take uh, this time right now to just kind of back up and just talk about things that we learned this season. You know, I think as hunters, that's something that's very important for everybody to do. Um, you know, you, you're you're kind of during the season, you're kind of going, 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 doing the hustle and bustle. And so I think now that the season's kind of wrapped up, actually, when this drops, uh, waterfowl season will also be at, over. Um, so I think it's just good to kind of take a look back and kind of, you know, learn from your mistakes, learn from the things you did well, just learn in general. And so that's what Charles and I are going to do today. So we both have a couple things here that we're going to talk about. We're just going to kind of switch off. Uh, I'll probably go first uh, since Charles is the guest. And we're just going to kind of review things that we learned this year uh, so that we can, you know, learn for those in the future. So does that sound good to you, Charles? Yeah, man, that sounds great. All right. So like I said, I'll go first. And uh, if you need to, you know, say anything or add anything at any time, go ahead. So, all right. So, uh, I'm going to go all the way back, which it, it seems like an eternity ago. It's hard to believe it was this year. Uh, I got to go hunt Nebraska, uh, for the early, uh, archery season, which was in September. First time I've ever hunted whitetails that early in September. Um, hopefully I'll get to do it again in the future. But, uh, one thing and I talked about it after I came back from that hunt was, uh, you know, whether you listen to podcasts or read articles or watch television shows, something you hear all the time is the phrase, whitetails are creatures of edge. And I feel like I've heard that, you know, growing up and over the last several years. And I've always kind of like somewhat knew what it meant, but I don't know if I just didn't have the right terrain features or habitat features or what. But for some reason, when I was up there in Nebraska, uh, it just rang so stinking true because, you know, in one small area, you would have a CRP ground. You'd have a cornfield. Next to that would be a soybean field. In between all that, there'd be like real brushy creeks, you know, and open timber. And so as I walked around, scattered around, it was just amazing. Like I lost count of how many whitetail or, you know, deer beds that I saw on right on the edge of all these habitat features and all different kinds. Like I'd be walking, you know, between CRP and, uh, and a Creek bed and like, you know, all the trees along the Creek bed would have beds under them. Or I'd be walking, you know, between a cornfield and a CRP, uh, field and there'd be beds in the CRP right on the edge of the corn. So just all over the place, it just really, really rang, you know, just, it almost just knocked me off my feet. Like how, how whitetails really do uh, use the edge to their advantage and just how how much it affects their travel. And so that was a huge eye-opener for me. And, like, something, you know, since I came back, I've been trying to figure out, one, you know, where are my edges? Like, where are those defined? And I've even thought about ways to try to, you know, like, make my own edge. Um, you know, one idea that I talked about a couple months ago was, like, 
you know, maybe where there's a big line of cedars that back up to my food plot or a field or whatever is maybe even trying to shave the, uh, the limbs on those cedars on one side, just to kind of create like that hard edge. Um, and just see if I can, you know, maybe manipulate whitetails in that way. So Charles, any, uh, any edge input? No, but questions, I guess, because I, <laughs> uh-huh. I think that you and I both were into like some new stuff this year, going and hunting new ground. Um, and um, not to steal my thunder just yet, but I, I hunted public pretty hard for the first time this year. Um, but they were all like short stints at different time of the season. And the question I have for you is like with that edge information that you like learned, I know that was more or less a long weekend that you went up um, there to Nebraska. Did that affect like how you hunted actually during that short time frame? since you only had so long? What I'm trying to say is, did you like pivot or anything based off that information or is that all like new stuff? Uh, basically um, I think new this... information going forward, like a new lesson, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Right. Right. I think the longer I was there, it did. So I, I say the longer I was there, you're right. I was there. I got to hunt two evenings that time. I could have hunted mornings, but um, I just felt like my time was better scouting in, in the morning than hunting uh, because it's such, such early season. But, uh, my first evening hunt, I bet I definitely went to like kind of tried and true. I was hunting a soybean field. Um, you know, there's some thick timber, a little kind of back in the woods type soybean field. So that's what I hunted. the The next day, when I had a lot more time to to get out and scout, um, and I was actually I was trying to get to this big piece of timber uh, to scout that timber, but I was walking along, you know, all these fields and creek beds and stuff. And so that's kind of when I like really, you know, I started taking pictures of all these beds and it definitely affected where I hunted that evening. I did not hunt that big timber. Um, and funny enough, like <laughs> I got into that big timber, you know, being a Southeastern Oklahoma hunter, I'm always drawn to that timber. That timber was dead. <laughs> like that's one thing I learned. Like I saw no beds. I saw no deer sign. And then out in all those, you know, what, what I would normally say, like a wide open field or a field edge, there was just sign everywhere. So, um, yeah, I, th- that second evening I ended up hunting uh, an alfalfa field that was next to some CRP. And there's maybe like 100 yards of CRP. And then there's a big, uh, like, draw, like, creek bed that had, you know, cottonwoods and stuff. So, yeah, my second evening was way different than my first evening. Huh. I mean, that's. That's interesting, and it leads into kind of what I learned this year is like, I mean, just like you, you know, growing up, we hunted, um, you know, what we had scouted, what we had established, um, you know, so much of of where I hunt uh, is mostly central Texas on private land, um, and so there's a lot of work that goes into, you know, the off-season cutting, clearing, um, filling up feeders and everything else. Cause if you don't, I mean, you're just not going to have traffic when, um, there's not, you know, food source opportunities in the fall. So, um, to give a little background, my, uh, my in-laws, um, are up in Oklahoma and because, you know, now with wife and, and Hunter, uh, my son, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's more of a family affair and it's more of, you know, taking time away from the family when I go to hunt. So I was like, well, Oklahoma has public land, you know, I'm going to see what I can do there. Started scouting in the summertime and everything else. What I realized is all the stuff that I scouted that like is good back home because you can 
set up consistent routes on some things that might be um, summertime routines is not the same on public land where there's pressure. And so mm-hmm. like the biggest thing that I learned, I think about public land, although there's, although there's several things that I've learned is that like, you can't, you can't be tied to a spot. Um, when I, mm-hmm. when I did get, um, you know, an opportunity, um, and actually pulled off my first, uh, doe from, from public land, it was like my, I think like my C spot from scouting in the summertime. I mean, maybe even like D level, but it was just like the other stuff that, you know, like edges, like you were talking about and, um, you know, pinch points and everything else that were like obvious. Well, I mean, I'm not the only hunter that's out there. And so like they were obvious enough for everyone else to see them too. So I had to look for like fresh sign and it ended up being a spot that, I mean, I really didn't think was going to be that good that I had encounters with um, a couple different does before I had an opportunity that morning. But I mean, it was a, it was a hot spot that I would have normally just kind of looked over if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess uh, the lesson learned is like, going... you gotta, you gotta be able to pivot, I guess, and not be tied to a spot. Mm-hmm. There's kind of the lesson learned, especially yeah. on public. Yeah. Right. That, uh, that C spot and D spot, were they like terrain wise and everything, were they just like A and B or were they different and just kind of like, you you almost felt like you had to go to a different spot because spot and A, B weren't working. Does that make sense? Does that question make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. So <clears throat> A and B were both like, okay, there, there's like a hard line transition, you know? Something that anyone would sound like, uh, like an Onyx app or something like that, right? I actually put boots on the ground and I was like, "Hey, this this might work." Had cameras up, and what I was seeing, you know, from from uh, you know the camera work was that, uh, yeah, it was good all up until basically season started, and then it got really sporadic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, "Well, if it's going to be sporadic anyway, let me check some of these other places for signs." And I had heard. Well, no, I had read, and I think it was a Peterson book. Um, you had him on your podcast at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. Tony Peterson. Tony. Yeah, Peterson. Tony Peterson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I want to say that he was talking about where deer traveled, uh, and the spot that I was at has a lot of hills and whatnot. And uh, I want to say he talked about them being maybe halfway up the slope, I, I could be pulling it from different information, but I want to say it was in his book. Um, mm-hmm. Halfway up the slope of like a, a hill or like a ridge or whatever else, right? And so mm-hmm. I found a spot that was not necessarily on a hard um, hard line, hard edge, if you will. Um, and then about halfway up, put myself in a tree that was fairly exposed, but they were going between um, water um, and bedding areas. And it was kind of during drought time. And I mean, honestly, it was, like I said, where, where, you know, I had encounters with two does. It also had a secondary kind of, uh, it was like at the point of a ridge. So there was two trails coming together right there. And I mean, it was perfect to tell you Mm -hmm. the truth. Yeah. So does that make sense how they were different or did I just kind of ramble? Yeah. 
No, no, that was great. That's that's what I was asking in uh, in my terrible question. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Long winded explanation. So. Uh huh. No, it's good. It's good. All right. All right. Uh, well, what's I'll your next one? Again. Yeah, so uh, I also did a little bit of uh, public land hunting this year, um, mostly in October. Didn't hit it too awful hard, um, but uh, so I uh, one it was a it was like a mid October. I want maybe it was the second second or third week of the season. I think it was the second week of the season. Um, I decided I was going to hunt public land this evening. I went to a spot that I've scouted over the last couple years. Uh, ran cameras on over the last couple years. I got there. And that piece was closed for a controlled hunt, and so I couldn't hunt. And I was already running a little bit late. This is like a Friday after work, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so I basically, you know, pulled up Onyx, tried to find just the next closest uh, public land. And I remembered a place that I had driven by, like, probably three years before. Um, I never got out of the truck. I just kind of drove by and, like, hey, that's public type thing. So drove over there again, you know, running a little bit late at this point, uh, had my stand on my back, got out and just started walking. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to walk until I find the first sign and I'm going to set up. And so walking in, it was, it was a pretty cool, it was kind of like at the bottom of a ridge. There was kind of a swampy area to my right. Um, I'm walking into the wind, which is good. And, uh, I get to this area and, there's, I, you know, I see some big white oak trees, there's acorns on the ground, and I see some deer poop. So I'm like, all right, we got acorns, we got deer poop, this is where I'm setting up. So hang my stand, get up in the tree, and as soon as I get up in the tree, I'm kind of, you know, looking around, uh, you know, getting my bearings. And about, I don't know, 60 to 80 yards kind of up into my right, I see this area, and I was like, man, that's where I need to be. Like, that is the spot. But again, I was running late. I was like, it's too late. Like, I'm just going to sit it out and, you know, see what happens. Sure enough, like 30 minutes later, two deer walk right out of that spot that I was looking at. Um, and, you know, they were does, no bucks or anything like that. Um, I did actually later on have another doe come out that was in shooting range. I passed her. Um, but the lesson I learned from that was when you think you've gone far enough, go just a little bit further. And... My thinking behind that, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, you know, you might bump a buck or whatever. Um, but my thinking behind this is, uh, you know, when you hit that that line, let's say, you know, the deer are in a circle. Let's say there's a core area and whatever. Let's say there's a, you know, 400-yard radius around that circle where they kind of venture and eat and move around. When you first hit that line of sign, you're on the very edge of that circle. Um, and so, you know, the chances of them making to that outer edge of the circle, especially in daylight is probably not very good. And I think just like happened that evening, you might see that deer. Um, and if you're going to be hunting there, you know, consistently, if you have a couple days, maybe that's good enough. Maybe you stay on that edge and then move in a little bit at a time. But if you're going in for the kill, you know, if you're like, you know, if I was there for one day or maybe you're taking a weekend trip out of state or whatever it might be. I think when you get to that point where you're like, all right, this is where the deer are, I think you need to go just a little bit further. Whether that's 20 yards or 100 yards, that's going to depend a little bit on the situation. But when you get to that spot where you say, hey, I'm here, I think you need to go just a little bit further. That's, I like that. What, what um, mm-hmm. 
what was like the uh, the tip off that you should have been another few yards? Because you said, I know I need to be right there. Like, what was the thing that set it off for you? Mm-hmm. Man, it's it's hard to explain. Uh, a lot of it, honestly, was edge. You know, when I was on that hunt, I was fresh off that trip to Nebraska. It was like five weeks later, something like that. Um, so I had kind of that edge mentality uh, on my head. And like I said, so there was a there was kind of an oak ridge that was up high and coming down to my left. And then there was kind of this wide open spot. It was, it was basically where like when that swampy area to my right that I was talking about, when it floods, it gets up into this area. So there wasn't a lot of like vegetation and, you know, brush and stuff. Um, but there was those big mature white oak trees. Um, but that swampy stuff was just prime like bedding area. Cause the water was kind of, you know, we had a dry year, uh, so the water was kind of down. There was just all kinds of thick, you know, brushy stuff and reeds and everything. Just looked like prime bedding. And uh, uh, that area up I was talking about, there was a there was a tree. One of those oak trees had died and fallen over, and it it basically fell almost perfectly between that ridge and that swampy area. So it was like a natural funnel. Um, and so for some gotcha. reason, it was, was like, like hazing them into there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, man, if I could get on the edge of these oaks and that swamp with that funnel right there, I just felt like it was going to be a great spot. And like I said, those two does came right out of that corner. So I like that. Go a little bit further. Um, Mm -hmm. So another public land deal. And uh, (laughs) this one is like, this one I think is in kind of the same vein you're talking about, but it's like, uh, I guess the best way to describe it is it's like, you know, try something new. You know, I've, for the longest time, it's been like a goal to have like a, a stalk in to, you know, a whitetail and, and make that happen. Um, but <clears throat> where I hunt is not like big acreage. There's a lot of deer that cross over it. I'm talking about central Texas right now. Um, but there's not a lot of deer that stay on it. And so what I try to do is minimize time down in like the hunting portion of this land. Um, so this one was like a, it, it was fun that, that it was a, an opportunity, but, um, again, reading or watching, cause I know, you know, hunting public guys kind of get into this stuff a lot, but, um, I was like, what, what advantage that I, can I take to make stalking uh, a, a reality? And I went out, um, on this public land when we were visiting my in-laws, you know, one morning and it was raining and it was nasty. And it was like down in like the, I think probably the forties, I just bundled up knowing that I was going to get wet and set my mind to, Hey, this is going to be an adventure. And then, hey, if you see a deer before they see you, just see if you can make a move, you know, make a game plan and make a move. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to make in a couple stocks. The first one, like I, I moved at the wrong time. You know, I was trying to move mm-hmm. either when this deer's head was down and like brush was covering my movement or when there was like intervening trees, limbs, etc. Right. And that deer busted me at probably, I don't know, 40 yards. Um the positioning and everything, like I wasn't comfortable with the shot, you know, until probably another 12 or 13. Um, so like there was never an opportunity there, but at least it was like, it, it gave me a little bit of confidence for what happened later in the morning. Because what happened later in the morning 
is, man, I'm, I saw this deer at probably 120 yards out, saw it where it was slowly traveling to, kind of grazing it was going, as it was going. Um, and it was, I wouldn't say the most mature doe out there. Um, but at the same time, you know, stocking up on any whitetail, I felt like it was a, a good opportunity. And I love meeting the freezer as much as anyone else. And so I was like, hey, we're going to make this happen on on what we got here. And so um, so I picked a point as, as to where she was going. And then, again, yeah, just made my movements um, when she was down. There was a lot of, um, you know, dead leaves that were out there. It a, it, it's a pretty um, – Oh, forested area, but this area that I was in, there was an opening and it was kind of at the top of these, uh, rolling hills. Um, so that being said, I picked that point, moved when she was, her had her head down and everything else got to 23 yards. And the problem is I didn't look at where my legs were setting up when I went to draw and I leaned on the right side, right when I'm drawing, um, I'm right-handed. So I was pulling back, not paying attention and snapped a uh a limb which alerted her and she ran off but to have the confidence to do that wouldn't have been able like i wouldn't have been able to do it if it was all dry but the advantage that i took was like hey it's gonna it's gonna potentially be uncomfortable and you know i was like yeah it's gonna be an adventure anyway but the advantage was you know just that that all that drizzle was gonna cover up my sound so you know hunting is different try something new especially if you have an opportunity where like Hey, there's going to be a lot of people in there anyway. There's going to be pressure anyway. Why do, why not just use something to your advantage and do something new, make it an adventure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And those rainy days, that's especially on public lane. You know, that's a day where a lot of people aren't going to want to get out in the woods. Um, so oh, people were coming out while I was coming in. Yourself. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, people were coming out while they while I was coming in. They were like, "Are you seriously coming in?" I was like, "Yeah." I mean. There's an opportunity. They're like, you can have it. Like, All right. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, especially a bow, I think any bow hunter, if they're, if they're really honest with themselves, they would love to spot and stock a whitetail. I know I would. And, uh, you know, the, the episodes I've done with, uh, Josh Garut, you know, I've had him on, I think twice. Uh, he oh, does man. a lot of spotting and stalking. Uh, you know, those are doing. some of my most listened, yeah, those are some of my most listened to episodes because I think, like I said, deep down, I think everybody dreams of doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my uh, <clears throat> what I scared off was nowhere in comparison to what he bags. So not 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 in the same sentence. <laughs> are we talking about us? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, hey, like I said, I mean, how many people can say they've killed any whitetail with a bow off the ground? Not many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, what's next? What, what do you got next? What's your next uh, take-home? All right. all right, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit because I don't want this to be you know completely uh, whitetail-oriented. So I'm going to talk about ducks here for a second. Um, so we, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that you and I did some duck hunting this year, and it just so happened that in between two of our duck hunts, I had a, a duck guy on, the guy from uh, OK Fowl Company. Um, and so one one of the best things that I learned from him and it was one of the things, like, I heard it, and I was kind of like, huh. And then I, like, really thought back through, you know, all my years of duck hunting. Uh, and, it man, it really, really rang true. Uh, and it was the whole, like, 
your hide is way more important important than your decoy spread. And I mean, myself included, I feel like everybody gets so worked up about their decoys. You know, are are the decoys nice enough? Do you have enough of them? Where do I need to put them? How do I need to position them? Do I need to leave an opening for the ducks? And you know, all this and that. Um, but you know, one thing you said was like, you know, if the ducks fly over once and flare, it ha- it probably has nothing to do with the decoys. It's probably you. And then you know, if they circle a couple times, then it could be something with the decoys. Um, but man, just looking back over all my duck hunting experience, like I, I definitely have always been a decoy first and then, you know, like I'll kind of figure out where to hide. Um, but listening to all his tips, you know, like obviously the a frame blind is awesome, which we actually hunted out of the second time you bought one and that was amazing. Um, but listening to talk about like, you know, using shadows, using shadows to your advantage, you know, like setting up on a certain side of the tree so that the sun is casting a shadow and you're not out in the bright sun. Um, you know, really brushing, you know, you and I spent, gosh, I don't know how long, uh, ripping ditch grass out of the ditch that morning so we could brush in your brand new blind. Um, so man, like just, it, it really is true. Like your, you know, your camo, your blind, your hide, whatever it might be is way more important than your decoy spread. Man, I, I actually agree with that a thousand percent. You know, when we went out and did that with the, uh, with the A-frame, that was the most time that I've spent on brushing in a blind. I mean, like day of probably ever. I mean, I've, I've, I've sat in, you know, blinds before that people had set up, you know, uh, for like a long time that it was like their honey hole or whatever else. But for us, like scouting that day or the previous day, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, coming in, um, targeting that specific tank that had not a whole lot of cover and everything else. I mean, that was, that was mm-hmm. probably the longest part of our setup by like four or five times, you know what the next thing was. Um, and I think it paid off. Yeah. I mean, we did, we, <laughs> every duck that came in, you know, I mean, they were committed. There was not one duck that was not committed and that's mm-hmm. with no retriever and, you know, some, some, uh, already harvested birds still sitting out on the water, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like you um, said, like, I mean, we had no other cover. The blind was not there in advance. Yeah. I'm coming from the whitetail woods. It's like, Oh, like if you can, you always want to have your, you know, blind out there in advance so they get used to it and all that stuff that, I mean, we set it up that morning big old random square bushy thing right on the pond dam but uh man they they didn't blink an eye yeah no i mean you're exactly right you know the other thing too that i I learned about that just to to dovetail off off of this is like and this is probably something i'm gonna have to take into the future uh, but i thought about it a lot recently is like getting kids into duck hunting might be easier than getting Mm into deer hunting at least how i deer hunt um, I don't hunt out of a lot of enclosed blinds, but how portable that A-frame is. I mean, we had your, you know, niece and nephews out there. And, uh, I mean, not that they're rambunctious or anything, but even if a kid was kind of a little bit, you know, restless or whatever, if you had them in there with like a, mm-hmm. I don't know, a book or a toy or something, you know, I mean, they only have to be still for spurts. Because those, I mean, yeah. It's not like they were perfectly still, perfectly quiet. You had to watch, you know, um, scent and stuff like that. Like, like how mm-hmm. I, I guess insane we get into deer. Um, mm-hmm. You didn't have to do any of that because it's just, hey, we got to watch eyes more than anything. And with a big A frame, it's like, man, get them in there and then just have them, you know, quiet still for spurts. So, yeah, yeah, agreed. And and it's fairly action packed. You know, if you 
have done a little scouting, you know some birds are going to be there. Uh, you know, with deer hunting, it can be a little bit more up in the air. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't know if you're going to get a shot or not. Duck hunting, it can be a lot more action-packed. So that is a good point. Yeah. And, I mean, what well, kid – I mean, it, it's harder to – Oh, I was just saying, what, what kid wants to sit out there for, you know, no success, no success, no success. It's, it's harder, I think, to get younger into bow hunting versus, you know, kids. Even if you bring in one duck, it's easier than getting, you know, skunked on several deer hunts, which is more, yeah. you know, the standard than uh, the aberration. True. You have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless high-speed internet latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. The other one is like, just remembering fundamentals and so like man i feel like it's the hard lesson i gotta learn every oh six or eight years but um i like getting real high in trees which i mean there's no problem with that i feel like i'm i'm more uh, protected from you know line of sight issues with deer uh the higher i go mm-hmm. but the angle gets a lot steeper as I go. And so, um, this is a hard lesson learned, but I put a shot on a pretty good buck on private land that, that I hunt that's in family land, central Texas. Um, the problem was, is the angle was so steep. I think I got him too high. Um, basically and only got one lung. Um, it, I mean, it's everyone's nightmare that bow hunts but you follow a good blood trail that dries up, you know, after waiting a good amount of time that really could have probably been prevented if you had just put a lower shot and a more precise shot on, you know, initially. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess the lesson learned is fundamentals like, Hey, keep it in that lower third. Um, yeah. And uh, don't, don't anticipate just because they're closer to you. Um, you know, from, I guess the tree. So like lateral distance versus like that, that angle compensated for, uh, Oh, for, um, yeah, the angle, I probably mm-hmm. just butchered what I'm trying to say, but, um, <laughs> nah, I'm with you. being higher up, you know, that angle steeper, if you try to compensate for that mm-hmm. without really just like thinking through, okay, well, what's on the other side, even though I'm seeing this on this side, what's happening on the other side, um, you know, it could really save you. So making good, clean, fundamentally sound shots, regardless of how you are, regardless of how high you are, regardless of how steep the angle is, you know, be focusing on what you're passing through when you're shooting. So it's a tough lesson learned. Yeah. It's, it's a delicate, yeah, it's a delicate balance because, Obviously, the higher you are, the less detectable you are. You know, your sense higher, you're, you know, out of sight, uh, you're, you know, line of sight of them. Um, but, yeah, the, the steeper that angle gets, the the less room for error you have. And so I, I definitely went through a spell. Uh, man, when I was 
24, 25. I hung a lot of stands in the 23 to 25 foot range um, and, and had some similar, you know, things like you just described. Uh, so I've kind of come back down. Now I'm more in that like 18 range. I think that's kind of my uh, my sweet spot in the 17 to 18 range. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, definitely something to consider. Yeah, you know I think you're exactly right. Going forward, I think what I'm going to do because I was at like I think my feet were at 25, 26, and the deer, you know, horizontal distance for me was like seven yards. So I mean, it's vers- virtually like a. Uh, I, what do we call that an isosceles where the legs are the same length. So, I mean, it was that it was a steep angle. Um, and I should have just thought about better, you know, where's it entering? Where's it exiting? What am I hitting on the way through? And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think I compensated basically too much. I let it go too high. So mm-hmm. tough lesson learned, gotcha. but how that came around full circle in the end was it made me focus a lot more on, Hey, what am I hitting in the middle? where I had my first frontal shot this year. So first frontal shot, mm-hmm. she went down within, um, oh, within probably 40 yards of shooting her. Um, but I wouldn't have had the confidence to do that first off if I didn't have the hard lesson learned followed by hours and hours and hours of practice. So mm-hmm. gotcha. there, gotcha. that one Man, came I'm glad you brought. I'm glad you, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to, kind of tie this one into both of us. Um, and uh, I didn't warn you about this ahead of time. Maybe I should have. I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. But uh, So this year you <laughs> obviously hunted your own place quite a bit. You hunted public land, and then you also did a couple hunts on our place, you know, with, out, of, out of my setups. Um, so after hunting, I think you hunted maybe two of my blinds and one of my tree stands or something like that. Um, were there any things that you noticed, like when you were hunting my setups that you thought were either like, Hey, I like this. Maybe I should try this. Or were there things like, Hey, I would absolutely not do this. John should change this. Um, you can throw me under the bus if you need to I understand. Uh, but just, you know, like getting to hunt, uh, out of somebody else's setup, were there things you took away or learned from? Um, you know, it's a good question. I think a lot of what we do is similar. Um, Mm-hmm. Honestly, what I would love to do that you do is you have uh, you have those banks blinds, which are real nice, you know, and protect you from the weather. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think those are like, gosh, hundred percent. The hard part for me with those, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is the I need to learn, or maybe it's just not for me, is those um, like when you take up the window. Not that I ever had a shot from one of your blinds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just was never sure at the, the opportunity cause I hunt either from a saddle or from like a hang on. Oh, 99% of the time. I think one of my stands is set up on a tripod, but I mean, everything is out in the open is what I'm getting at. And for me, I like, um, I guess there were a couple deer that came in like pretty far off. I think they had me figured out before it happened. I don't know why wind was right and everything else, but, uh, but maybe it was the movement of just that that uh those windows um but i think that's probably more of a learning curve for me than anything being wrong for you because you've definitely killed deer out of those before i'm trying to think what else i think you uh uh i mean there's nothing that's fine i was gonna say you did kind of low-key throw me under the bus about how you know you didn't have a shot out of any of my blinds so uh thank you for that (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you, you've killed deer out of them before, so that I, no, I think that's more on me than it is on you because there were deer that came yeah. in. Nah, they just uh, they didn't come all the way in. So yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. I'm just I think honestly, well, I, I think what I could take away from yours a lot more than than, and this is something that I thought about on each actually each spot that I sat in is you have really good entry and exit. Like you have a really good and well thought out entry to exit for each one. Like wind is good and they're all different. The way that the place that I typically hunt is set up, you have entry from the north and that's about it. And so unless I get creative about coming through like creek beds and and uh, and whatnot, maybe going real far out of my way, like I have entry from the north and and uh, and that's my only option. So. That's probably something that I could look at longer and maybe do a little bit better going forward. But that is one thing that I think that you do 100% right. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. You're forgiven for the other comment. <laughs> All right. I, uh, I, I got one more and this will probably close us out. We're kind of coming up on time here. Uh, but, uh, this one has to do with, uh, my one loan sighting of the 2% buck this year. Um, Buck did I, <laughs> I saw him for the first time when he was a three-year-old, whatever year that was. And, uh, this year he was a seven-year-old. So four or five, five years, I guess. Um, and I, for the first time since he was a three-year-old, I lays, laid eyes on him this year. And I have hundreds of pictures of this buck, um, you know, almost all at night. Um, I know vaguely kind of where he lives, um, Last year, I got a lot more pictures of him in different places. This year, kind of the same thing, but just it just seems like he didn't have a pattern. Um, yeah, just a very wise old buck and continues to live to this day. I uh, just got some pictures of him. He's still alive. But anyway, um, I had my one encounter with him this year. Almost got him killed. Uh, but where where I, where I he came out of, like where I saw him, I'm assuming... He was betting not too far away because it was I mean, it was a good hour before dark when I first saw him, and he came out of this little hillside up onto this hill, um, this brushy, nasty hillside that there's been times over the years where I'm like, man, it seems like this would be a good deer bedding area, um, but I've never really seen sign there. Like you see, you know, maybe one lone rub every now and again, um, but because I used to kind of, you know, pay attention to it, never really saw any sign. I have not been on that hillside or really anywhere in that area in probably three years, I'm going to say. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of at the corner of our property. It's at the corner of this pasture on the, on the complete opposite end from the gate. Um, so it's just an area we don't really go to. And that is exactly where I saw him come out of. And so it's kind of a twofold lesson. Um, one, it kind of taught me the, the benefit of having like a sanctuary area, like an area that you do not go. Um, and then the other part of it, which is also kind of in that is just don't forget about those forgotten areas. You know, like, like I said, like I, I have a feeder not too awful far from where that buck came out of, but he, I, I had zero pictures of him at that feeder. Um, I think, you know, it's a spot I hunted a decent amount. It actually is, I think it was one of the spots you hunted. Um, and so I think he just kind of, it just wasn't in his realm. Uh, he, I think he was living on that hillside and just like I saw him that evening, he was walking 
kind of along this brushy fence line, staying to himself, and he would come to this other feeder after dark. It's a feeder he's known. He's been at it for years. Like I said, he just he usually comes at night. Um, and so just having that one sighting, I feel like I have narrowed down his core area so much. Um, now I had another buck that was pretty much, you know, pinned down, <coughs> excuse me, the big eight that I ended up killing, um, the night, I don't know if I ever mentioned this on the podcast or not, uh, after I had my encounter with the 2% buck and you know, the water bottle cracked and scared him away, uh, the very next night I got a picture of him a mile away from that feeder. <laughs> um, so he was definitely on to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so yeah, but going into this year, uh, I mean, I am just like, I am completely unraveling every, you know, f- almost trying to forget everything that I know about this buck and trying to relearn it all. So, and I, I admit, like, I have not gone into that area. Um, I am extremely tempted to go walk that hillside in March and look for his sheds. Um, but I think, I don't know, I, I, I can't say I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to try really hard not to do that because I'd rather just leave it alone. You know, if he feels comfortable in there. Why go mess them up? Uh, so yeah, last lesson is don't forget about those overlooked spots. Um, and kind of the whole lesson of this entire uh, podcast is just learn from your mistakes. You know, look back at your season and learn. So, Charles, yep. any closing? Thoughts? I'm going to take a parting. Yeah, parting shot. One more thing that I thought about um, mm-hmm. is geese are not nearly as smart as I gave them credit for. <laughs> I thought a goose call. <laughs> Tried it for like a week. Like, I know that I'm not good. I watched a lot of like, uh, you know, YouTube videos and whatnot. Had some gift cards, bought some silhouettes with the gift cards. And, uh, man, if you're set up on some ducks and there's a potential for geese, I mean, like you got, you know, relatively big, like landing area or whatever else. I don't know much about geese at all. But like, get you some silhouettes, get you a goose call. And then make them think about it because we sky blasted some geese this year that we would have not even got close to a shot at, but we made them think about it and they came close enough where we could just pepper them. So there's my parting shot. Yeah. All right. I like it. Yeah. 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 We are not goose hunters by any means, but we killed a couple. We killed a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, Charles, thank you so much. Uh, this was very informative. I hope a lot of people listening, uh, I hope they learned from us, and I hope it also kind of caused them to just kind of think about their own season and, you know, some things they can learn from it. So, all right, buddy. Man, I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, thank you so much, and uh, I guess until next time, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, man, it was fun. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, Charles, for coming on and sharing your experiences with us. Um, Again, guys, I know I said at the beginning, but uh, if you haven't taken some time to go back and reflect on this past year, you really need to do it. Think about the things you did well. Think about the things you didn't do well. Uh, Maybe there's, you know, stand placement things that you need to change or habitat things you need to change. Uh, Maybe you need to invest in an A-frame if you're a duck hunter, whatever it might be. Uh, just think about it, reflect on it, and and move forward from it. You know, what, like I said, good or bad, you should always, always be learning. So that's going to do it for me. I actually have my, my little girl sitting on my lap right now. Hey, Hallie, you want to say hi? She doesn't talk yet, but I thought I'd give her the opportunity. Her, uh, her mom is at a uh, youth retreat this weekend, so it's just me and her. 
and uh, and we're just hanging out and having a little daddy-daughter time. So I'm going to go hang out with her. We're about to go have lunch with my dad. Uh, so thank you guys for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. I hope you learned something. And again, I hope you look back and learn something about yourself. So that's it for this week. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. Bye.